0: Talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities, and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play.
1: If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your
0: bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. Back to season two, episode four
1: of Rollin' Thunder. And as the smoke clears, we're back in studio. Yeah, we recorded this interview a while back, but we're evacuated for more than a week because of the fires. Yeah, it's true.
0: We woke up smelling smoke at around 3 a.m. the night after recording the upcoming interview, and I looked outside and was greeted with an orange sky and a hail of ash. So we grabbed our cats, the U.S. Dice Masters belt,
1: and took off with our clothes on our proverbial. Backs. No, there's no proverbial about the backs. <laughs> there were no proverbial backs. There were clothes on our backs that we ran away with. Into the orange sky. <laughs> yes, that's true. Anyway,
0: fortunately, and Thunder Studios is still standing. And now I don't have to question what we'll do when the apocalypse arrives. I guess we'll just sit down and record another podcast. All right, well then, let's get on with it. Get on with it! Right. First order of business, I guess, is to offer some congratulations and apologies, both of which should be first directed to Jocelyn of Dice Masters North Renown. Congratulations for winning the latest round of Chris and Rob's Game Room two-team takedown. Apologies for misidentifying her as the top eight opponent of JT in the last episode. Christine, if you're out there... You're the fantastic Iceman player we should have been acknowledging, so apologies for that. I also want to congratulate Spug on a MOD PDM, not UK Nationals, mouthful of a win. It looks like he was running a Collector Knobby Rare Danger Room wincon. We're hoping to hear all about it on the next episode of The Ministry of Dice.
1: And we also have some other good news. I could use some of that. What you got? There's an official street date for the D&D Trouble in Waterdeep set. It's December 18th.
0: Tremendous. What's a holiday without raging drunken adventurers and fire-breathing dragons? We wrote a post a while back about a good way to draft campaign boxes and team packs,
1: so I'll throw a link in the show notes to that at... Rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 204 for Season 2, Episode 4. No apostrophe, no G. Makes an R out of Arj of me. All right, what have we got in store for today, you might ask? Yeah, get
0: on with it. All right, on with it I shall. First off, there's a monster at the end of this book, Lucan. Oh, really? What's that? And I'm not talking about little old Grover me. No, if you stick around to the end of this episode, we are spoiling a brand new card from the upcoming WWE set, One of my favorite WWE heels from back in the day. Alright, now you've piqued my curiosity. Well, you're gonna have to wait because this card comes to us via the generosity of our upcoming guest. Yeah, you know him from Season 1, Episode 6 of the show. The Apostle of Dice Masters himself. A judge at the most recent World Championships. The Admiral at the helm of the YouTube sensation known only as the DM Armada. With more than 1,000 200 subscribers and growing. You're not going to catch this, Cookus. Ladies and gentlemen, the Texas Tornado himself, Mr.
2: Stephen Cookus. What's up? Thanks for having me. That was a much better intro than the first time. <laughs> it's We've still done this twice, like... everybody. By the way, this was the second one because it wasn't recording the first time, and that was so good. I'm so glad we did this a second time. We well, we're, done. Well, we're
1: still going to probably cut that all out and then just put in like the full thing. You know how we do like the full thing for all the, all the people with all their achievements? <laughs> oh, <and> please <laughs>
2: don't. Leave that in. Leave all of that in. That was gold.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the
0: Armada's coming back, and who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Am well, I the Steven, old dog, or who's the old dog in this I'm situation? the old dog in this scenario. Oh, okay, here. there you go,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> all right, well, here's the thing. We are watching you doing these unboxings and these new videos that you've been putting out. And by the way, we will have show links to them all, Lucan, at...
1: Rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 204 for Season 2, Episode 4. Awesome.
0: But we've been looking at you playing with these new cards with Envy, because, you know, we're ready to jump in. And so we thought... If we can't play with them ourselves, maybe we can have the next best thing. And
2: and we invited you on the show to talk about it, so... Welcome. Well, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to talk about these new cards. I'm looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. I hope it happens sooner rather than later. I get the whole delay thing. I get that it happens, but I'm ready for you guys to have it just as much so that we can all sit down and play some games because these cards are really, really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, well, they look like it too. And I mean, just even from, I should give a big shout out to Truby here and say thank
0: you for updating the Dice Coalition site because just looking over the cards there too, you get the sense that there's a lot of really good cards in this set and a lot of useful abilities
2: in the meta and just in set. It seems like it's going to be a really a blast to play. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of really, really cool cards in this set. And I think it kind of spans the entirety of the set. It's not all crammed into just the box and then two sort of irrelevant team packs. They're really spread around all over the place, which is what to me makes it most interesting because you really do want to buy every single product. There's not one that you just think that'll fall to the wayside. I totally agree. And before we get into all that, I want to take a moment while we've got you here to
0: talk the world's coverage. You guys did a fantastic job. And Thank you. The last time we had you on the show, you had mentioned that commentating for such an event like Worlds would be a dream come true.
2: Can you walk us through how it actually became a reality? Sure, yeah. So after Nationals came and went, I thought to myself, I was doing the Facebook thing. I was kind of creeping on Facebook, waiting for results to be posted, waiting for like the little picture of the top eight bracket to go on Facebook so we could all like kind of watch along in that sense because there was no coverage. And yeah. while I was doing that, I thought to myself, you know, this is crazy. I'm I'm totally over this. I've done this for like three years. I'm tired of watching sort of from the sidelines and kind of waiting for something to update. I think I'm just going to go to Worlds And I'm just going to set up off to the side with like a little camera. I don't even care if the setup's really bad. I'm just going to set up off to the side, like cross my fingers that there's (laughs) Wi-Fi. And if there is, I'm going to hook up to it and I'm just going to stream. I'm not even going to really ask. I'm just going to do it then I thought to myself, like the, the next couple of days, I was like, I should probably ask. So I,
1: <laughs> I went over to Facebook
2: again and uh, I hopped on and I, I got with a couple of people over uh, at WizKids and asked them, hey, you know, I plan on going to the event in Memphis because they announced that it's in Memphis. And I was like, oh, I can make that drive. I plan to go to that. And instead of playing, I kind of wanted to just take all my stuff and stream. Would that be sort of possible, allowed, permissible and they said, you know, not only is that permissible, would you be willing to do that sort of as the official stream rather than streaming, wow. you know, ourselves, would you rather us support you in whatever you might need? And then you just do a full on stream through your channel. I said, oh, yes, I will <laughs> definitely, definitely do that. And so that's sort of how that came to pass. We we worked together leading up to the event to try and figure out all the logistics of streaming. I got a couple people on board to go with me and, and do the whole streaming thing. And I think it was really, really fun. It was one of the highlights of my whole Dice Masters career, in my opinion. Oh, well,
0: it's so awesome. And thank you so much for doing it, because I really think it's one of the best ways, if not the best way, to promote the game out there. I can't tell you the number of people who talked about coming to the game from after watching the first Worlds and first national coverage, where, where I think WizKids really had their heart in it. And it's nice to see it come back, because you guys did such a great job and speaking about you guys let's let's talk about your team you mentioned some of the other people and i want to make sure we properly tip all our
2: hats to every one of them sure so i think the the one that gets the biggest tip of the hat is ryan slater if you don't know ryan slater he works with a couple of other guys over on cr game room which covers dice masters and a few other games as well so go check them out if you haven't before the amount of things that he provided i mean he is the reason that you saw the stream and its quality the entirety of the weekend in fact he Straight up, the reason that you saw multiple cameras and that you saw them bouncing back and forth. Because if it were me, I was just going to set up one overhead camera (laughs) and call it a day. But he was able to go sort of above and beyond. And he had this just insanely cool setup that allowed him to control three different cameras so that everyone that's watching can basically play along with both players. He covered all of the logistical back end stuff with regards to tech. And so, him and I worked together before we cruised on up to Memphis and then we were met there by the one and only Ross Foster who does the weekly dice arena on Tuesdays. So if you don't have a place to play locally, you can always grab a webcam, throw it at your screen or I guess don't throw it, set it up somewhere, <laughs> point it at your mat and play on Tuesdays. Check him out. Yeah. He and I teamed up and did some commentary for literally all of the matches we could possibly do from the beginning of the day on Friday, <laughs> all the way to about <laughs> noon on Sunday with a couple of hours of sleep somewhere in there
1: I can't yeah. remember when but you guys it were heroes
0: I mean it was amazing just to see your voice hold out that duration I mean you were pretty much Talking, talking, talking for, what, 72 hours straight almost, it must have been. Yeah, so uh, lots of water, a pure heart, and clean living is what it took.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, big right. shout out
0: to Ross. And I want to say, you know, if you were there, Ryan was set up right next to the number, one, where the stream the was, the was happening. And he was really table, yeah. just, just on top of it all. And, and so often the people who, as an editor, I can tell you, So often the people who are behind the scenes, off camera, aren't recognized for all the hard work they did, and and he was certainly there putting in the blood, sweat, and tears, so shout out to you, Ryan.
2: Yeah, dude's Uh, a
1: boss. Dude's a boss. So, So tell us about some of the formats as a spectator and a commentator, what do you think were the strengths and weaknesses of each? Okay, so
2: what was the first format? I've already forgotten. See, it's been so long. The first one was my <laughs> 10 favorite. By 10. I just remember enjoying it the most. I think it was 10x10, 10 10, right? It was 10x10, 10 10, that's right. I enjoyed 10 by 10 by far the most, and that's not to say that the other ones were bad. I didn't expect much out of 10 by 10 I know everyone sort of was talking down about the format leading up to it, but... My goodness, the games were just so much fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just remember every time we sat down to cast one of those games, the teams tweaked, changed a little bit. There were cards that I didn't expect to kind of make a resurgence that hit the table, and I loved it. I thought they were really fun games to watch in general. They didn't feel too one-sided over the course of the game as they played out. So I really liked that format. Global Escalation was pretty interesting. We had that tournament right after on Friday mm-hmm. and that one was fine. It was a, it was a fun tournament. I'm not as big a fan of Global Escalation, but I think there was less toxic stuff. That uh, made its way onto the stream. And of course, because I was sort of stuck to the stream, I only really got to see the games that were there on the stream. So the ones that I saw, I enjoyed watching a lot more than I expected to, (laughs) which I I don't know if that says something about the, the format or if it says something about my own personal tastes but I enjoyed them more than I expected to. So kudos, I guess, to the the players that I saw building in that format. I guess Popper's the only non sort of just straight up format, right? So that was the last one that they ran yep. at the very end of the whole thing. And that was an interesting one as well. That's a harder format to kind of support and build for when you're running only campaign box product so i I feel like that could have done with a couple of more of the upcoming sets being released yeah some of these draft sets if they release those and then continue to have a popper format going forward i could see that being a lot more interesting but as it stood it was it was pretty much sort of copy paste a lot of the same sorts of things which made it a little difficult to diversify when you're building for so that one wasn't as warmly received i would think Uh, And then obviously you have modern, which is the, the world format, the world championship format. And I really enjoyed that as well. I think modern is probably my go-to bread and butter favorite format to watch just because I prefer formats that give you a constriction and a modern constriction to me is way more interesting than anything that's unlimited like golden age i'm not just i'm just not crazy about i don't know i like things that sort of have their time in the sun and then move on for new things to get <laughs> in the way and that's yep. why i think i enjoy modern the most so i think i enjoyed that one right up there along with Tintin. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that we have links to all of these things in the show notes. So if you want to
0: go back and watch them, you can just go to rollingthunder.xyz forward slash
1: 204 (laughs) for season two, episode four, no apostrophe, no G. But
0: just in terms of not leaving anyone behind, I just want to go over the basics of what the formats themselves are so that if people want to try them out at their own FLGS, they can. 10 by 10, Lucan was
1: what? It's when you have 10 cards, including basic actions. All 10 have to be from different sets, and promos count as their own sets, and each team pack counts as its own set, separate from like the campaign box that it was shipped with. And it's modern. And it is also only modern, yes.
2: Global Escalation.
0: Stephen. can you hit us up with that one?
2: Yeah, so Global Escalation is a Golden Age format, meaning you can play any card from any set since the beginning of Dice Masters, except you can't play cards from top finishing teams like first or second place teams from major tournaments. And I'm just going to leave it at that because there are a couple of other really weird constrictions with (laughs) regards to this tournament versus that tournament. So they they basically disallow cards that were on those teams that did not have globals. So uh, if there was a card on that team that did have a global then that card is still in play. You could still build with it, but any card that was on that winning team that did not have a global is gone. Right, so there's still a lot of broken cards in that, some of the complaints about that format
0: in particular. And then uh, Popper was kind of like... Like Little Cup
1: was back in the day. But but more restricted
2: than Little Cup even itself, right? Popper is essentially, you can only play with common cards, so cards with a common rarity, But unfortunately, you can't play with any of the uh, common rarity cards from campaign box because they're literally all common. So really only from the the modern sets, but none of them being campaign boxes. So I think it left what Batman, Tomb, Thor, X-Men, Guardians, and then they gave you some extra basic actions that you could pick from. So that's where they went with that one. Well, interesting.
0: It sounds like a flurry of Dice Masters was played and a lot of fun was had. As a spectator, did you have any really memorable moments watching? Any kind of overall
2: observations that, that have stuck with you over the weeks? Yeah, I liked the very first game that we showed for World Swiss Rounds. Mm-hmm. The one that showed, I think it was Jordo playing his fish team. Right. And I like to see basically it go off on turn four. It was really interesting to watch (laughs) just, well, that's how the game goes and that's how the team is supposed to work. And look, there it is. And then I really enjoyed watching sort of the opposite happen in the very finals of the whole thing of the world championships, similar fish team being run by Laurier. So, laurier's fish team going up against ben where ben basically just got 35 masks every turn yeah. and then said no thank you please <laughs> and thank you with static field right. to set up a burn wind condition
0: yep that really shows you how this game can be so much about matchups you know
2: yep yeah i agree
0: it seems like a lot doing all this and judging on top of it, where it seems like both of them are more than full-time
2: jobs in some ways. Oh,
0: it you know, was, maybe- it, yeah,
2: it was definitely a lot. So it was, it was judging, it was commentating, it was, uh, prizing, wow. it was, <laughs> firing drafts. It was, yeah. we were working hard. I'll tell you that you for sure. Maybe, yeah, maybe the next time around we
0: can figure out a way to kind of lighten the load, so to speak. You know? <laughs> yeah. More people would be good too, wouldn't it? More personnel yeah. would be great. Yeah. Speaking of your awesome videos that they could see right now if they wanted to go on the web and including these videos of worlds,
2: where could they find them if they wanted to go to YouTube? Oh, sure. You just go to youtube.com slash DMRMADA. That's D-M-A-R-M-A-D-A. And no, apostrophe, <laughs> no, <G. laughs> no apostrophe, no G. No apostrophe, no G. No hyphens
0: or spaces. And uh, this is the anti-catch-the-cookus <laughs>
2: Someone's
0: going to catch cook- it. Come on. someone to do it. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and go there and subscribe, everybody, because they're fantastic. Now, now that that's
1: done and over, let's talk spoilers. <laughs> right. Let's do it. So, before we get into talking about the new D&D set, let's go over two things that always throw people playing D&D. Experience and gear. And
0: When does a person get experience? And every time we start a new D&D set, it always comes up. People get confused about experience.
2: Can you remind our listeners when and how it happens? Sure, okay. So, you're going to gain experience all the time. For all of, no way, that's not it. Um, you're going to gain experience on your opponents. T- no, that's not it either. Oh, man, it's so hard to remember. Turn, it's <laughs> such a weird, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so here's how,
1: <laughs>
2: so this is how experience works. It's a little funky and it can be kind of strange when you first see it, but it kind of makes sense when you think of it thematically. So mm-hmm. the way experience works or a character with experience, the keyword works is first you get them out in the field. So they're active when things are about to occur. Second of all, once they're in the field, it is your turn. And let's say that that character's in the field, it's your turn, and during the course of that turn, one of your opponent's monsters, so the uh, character die with a little monster banner, if your opponent has one of those, and it gets KO'd during that turn, during your turn, at the end of your turn, if your little experienced dude is still out there in the field... Then you take a token, put it on your experience guy's card, and he now gets a plus one, plus one counter. Now, if like 14 opponents' monsters get KO'd, he still gets just one experience token. And let's say he leaves the field during that turn. He doesn't get an experience token. And let's Mm -hmm. say it's your opponent's turn and a monster gets KO'd. He doesn't get an experience token for that either. So those are the sort of criteria. He's active. It's your turn. He survives the turn and one or more of your opponent's characters that have the monster banner are KO'd, then you get a counter.
0: Future Arch popping in to officially read the experience keyword. A character die with the experience keyword is considered an adventurer. At the end of your turn, if you KO'd at least one opposing monster during your turn, all adventurers who are active during the KO and remain active at the end of turn gain one experience token on their card. A card can only gain one experience token per turn from the experience keyword, though other abilities may allow a card to gain more than one. An opposing player KOing one of their own monsters will not generate experience tokens, nor can you gain an experience token by KOing one of your own monsters. So I'm dropping in because we failed to mention that you do not gain experience if your opponent KOs one of their own monsters. So if they use Nylor to KO one of their own monsters, even if it's on your turn, you won't get an experience token. And I wanna just bring up a couple of specifics where I've seen this go wrong in the past. If you swing with that guy and KO a monster and he gets KO'd, guess what? He doesn't get an experience token. Exactly.
1: Or people are like, they KO a monster and then they feel the adventure and they're like, wait, I don't get an experience at the end of
2: the turn. (laughs) Right. Magic missile on your opponent's turn, I think. Or
0: the other one that happens a lot is they think they get the experience as soon as the monster's KO'd, right? So they breath weapon and they think all their guys have now gotten buffed because they've knocked out a lot of monsters. But guess what? They're not buffed until the end of the turn, so you can't swing with them and expect those guys to be buffed up at that point in time, right? Yeah, that's a good one, too.
2: That's true. Yep.
0: And let's talk gear. Now, gear is particularly confusing, I think, because of the way they used to talk about it before D&D was released. The old keywords page had attach having some
2: confusing wording on it that eventually got
0: revised. Can you go over exactly how gear works as well?
2: Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm doing this from memory and not from reading the page. Sure. But I'm assuming that this is correct because this is how I remember it. So after you purchase a gear die and you roll that gear die, when you go and place it in the field zone to use it, you can attach it to a character die in the field that has the little circle gear yes. equip symbol in the top right near their alignment and near their affiliation, which is the banner. So if they don't have that symbol, you can't technically equip it to that thing, which is interesting because I actually played recently with someone who was a little bit newer to the game, and they tried attaching it to their sidekick. And of course, the sidekick doesn't have the little equip symbol, so obviously you can't do that. Um, If the character that has the equipped die leaves the field zone for any reason, that equipment just falls to the ground and stays in the field zone where it can be equipped by another character at that sort of start of either your or your opponent's turn. So it can bounce around from target to target and it doesn't really leave the field. Unless there's some specific card that says it leaves the field. And the weird thing about that is that even when attacking, so they go charging through with the
0: holy avenger, they slash and leave it in the field. That's right. Yes, exactly. Because it's left the field. So it doesn't I always thought this was sort of an oversight, but they kinda carry it with them. Like you would think they would would kind of like
2: walk on off into the sunset, you know, holding the sword, but nah, they they slash at somebody and then they like butterfingers it and then the next guy comes up and takes it as well.
0: It picks it. So it's really hard to get
1: gear out of there. Use your Lucan here to read off the keywords Equip and Gear. Equip. Gear dice with the Equip keyword may be attached to a character with the gear icon immediately below their alignment icon when they first enter the field zone and at the beginning of each player's turn. You may switch the attachment from one character die to another. If the equipped character die leaves the field zone, the gear die remains in the field zone, unattached. Gear. Gear are a special type of continuous action dice that have the Equip keyword. They are used by moving them into the field zone. When you initially do this, and at the beginning of each turn that this die is active, and that can be any player's turn, you may attach this die to a character with the Equip icon. You may switch the attachment from one character die to another. If the Equip character die leaves the field zone, The gear die remains in the field zone, unattached. As with all non-character dice, gear dice can't attack or block.
0: (laughs) At least they cleaned it up because there used to be actually a discrepancy between the two. So now that's a little bit more clear. We always get questions about when is the gear used for the purposes of a tune or other things. And and it's when
2: it's placed in the field. It's when it goes into the field zone, just like any other continuous action die. Whenever it hits the field zone, that triggers the use of it. It's not the swapping from one character to another it's already in the field zone at that point. So that doesn't count as being used.
1: So speaking of keywords, there are a couple new ones coming in D&D Trouble and Waterdeep, which are Obscure and Spark. Could you talk about those a little bit? Sure. Okay, so Spark, we'll start with that one. Spark is a
2: keyword that's kind of interesting because it's very easy to overlook one of the triggers that actually activates a Spark ability. So Spark says, while a character with a spark ability is active. So obviously it has to be in the field for this to trigger. If you roll a burst face on one or more dice, and that's important to, to note in a couple of reasons we'll come back to, you use the spark ability at the end of the current step. So during the roll and re-roll step, just like uh, Energize, it'll only check at the end of the step. So even mm-hmm. if you roll it and then re-roll it, if that goes away, if it's no longer on the burst face, then it won't trigger. So you have to kind of keep that die during the roll and re-roll step. But it can trigger during the main step at the end of the main step if you're using it there. So that's important to note. But there are a couple of things here that you may not kind of get at first glance when you're reading through the keyword explanation. So if you roll a burst face on one or more dice, so obviously it's looking for any dice to be rolled that get that, it's not gonna stack. So Spark isn't gonna stack, which is kind of a bummer Mm. in that sense. But also it could be rolled a burst face on an action die, which is where we see most burst faces or on a character die. So if there are character dice with the burst face on them, that are printed in more frequency either now or going forward, we may see a little buff on the spark keyword spark as it goes. Uh, but there there are some interesting spark abilities built into the set, some that I would say warrant exploring. <laughs> I know one that we'll probably
0: get to a little bit later, but let me just go over one particular example to make sure that we get it straight. So say at the end of roll and re-roll, you had two dice with a burst. It would only trigger spark once, correct? That is correct. But... If you then did something like a Surerat Global or something and re-rolled one of them and got it again, then it would trigger again,
2: correct? You mean once you've moved past your roll and re-roll step and then into your main step? Exactly. And you've hit hit the main face and then you
0: re-rolled again you hit So you could get it twice if they were in a different step, correct? Oh, yeah. You could get it a maximum of, what, three times, right? Because you can do it during the attack step as well. Okay, Cool. And then the other one is obscure, which is really putting a keyword and ability
2: that's already been in the game. Can you go over that one real quick? Sure. So a base level understanding of obscure is the keyword obscure is literally just common yanti mm-hmm. attached to whatever you want. So when you use an action die, this character is unblockable until the end of the turn. This keyword is bonkers. It's really, really good. It's meta level worthy. And I'm glad it exists. But maybe some people aren't. I don't know. We'll see. Well,
0: there are five dice in this set that have that keyword on it. And guess what? They're all equippable. So just saying. Keep an <laughs> eye out for it
2: Yeah, and, and all of them can be buffed really, really easily with globals and or things like, um, oh, what's the one cost action from... Tomb of Annihilation, yeah. The, thrown like, co-
0: cobalt trap. Yeah. No, no no, not, no, no, no. No, he's thinking about improvised
1: weapon. Improvised weapon. Like I yeah, was yeah, yeah, Throne chair. The chair. <laughs> the chair. It's thrown, or, there you go. Throne chair. I like that in better. In the past, anyway. you even called it stool before because he's throwing a stool, <laughs> and also the other implication of calling it stool. Oh. There you go. So it's literally like that. Card is
2: so good with obscure, but you'd honestly the the beautiful thing, and I won't skip ahead to what we're going to talk about here in a second. But the beautiful thing about this keyword is it's put on cards. That can make decent use
1: of it already. So yeah. it's a solid keyword. And they built around it very, very nicely. So now let's get into the meat and potatoes, the analysis. You've had a chance to play with some of these new DD cards, and what are some of the wing conditions which have jumped out to you that you've played with? Well, the first one is the first one I made a video about, and it just jumped out to me as I was rereading
2: all the cards going through the unboxing. And it was the combining Volo, the two-cost Volo, that kind of cheats around the normal experience methods of getting experience Mm -hmm. to make him just like super giant, like an 11-11. Yep. That one was hilarious to me. (laughs) Combining that with Vajra that deals damage when you field adventurers was uh, pretty sick because it just pings your opponent for burn damage. Um, That's more of a fun win condition, I would say, than it is something super competitive. Lately, I've been messing around with different iterations on Godcatcher to see how powerful a Tintin that pulls out your shriek is. Spoiler alert, it's pretty decent. Um, (laughs) I've tried it in varying degrees of casual sort of setups. So I literally ran it just by itself, basically put a team around it trying to roll Godcatcher as much as possible so that I could see how six God catchers plays. So my high score is five God catchers at one time in the field, (laughs) which is pretty cool. I was playing against Joe Vega from CR game room a couple of nights ago. It was only like four or five nights ago. And he was playing his, I think world's corrupt team. The one that he brought to worlds, right? finished a top, What top eight? Do you finish top eight? No, top top sixteen for sure. He finished top sixteen with, and I had just this like weird janky version of, (laughs) of over crushing God catchers, (laughs) and I had I think I had five out, and there was a moment where towards the end of the game, I had the opportunity to roll my sixth Godcatcher and set a new high score and I missed it by a roll which was depressing because if I picked it up, I actually beat the top 16 worlds team but right. ended up dropping that game. And so now my next iteration of that team is going to be playing God Catcher with Insect Plague and uh, Splinter's Teachings so that I can make things unblockable. Uh, there's a
0: lot of hijinks to be had with that card. Yeah, that card's ridiculous. There's been talk about this game and now i got to hear it from the horses his lips you played ryan slater and mm-hmm. he turned three
2: you with the god catcher can in you that inset in, well i don't know if it was inset or not i, I want to hear how this it, came to pass it was in set, and it was actually turn four we okay. realized what what had happened but turn four the way it ended up playing out so he went first he picked up a god catcher and no maybe i went first i think i had gone first because I think he went something like God Catcher Res, which was a little unorthodox. Mm-hmm. But then he rolled God Catcher Turn Two, put it out there, and <laughs> bought a second God Catcher, uh-huh. pulled that Turn Three, and mm-hmm. put that out there, and then that triggered the first one, or something like that. He also had a Great Drunkard, which is another action die from this <laughs> set that he used to trigger the second one. And in about the span of those two turns, like Turn Two, Turn Three, he set up two God Catchers, rolled two bolts, used the essentially. <laughs> What is the magic missile global, but it's really the right. wand global to remove my two sidekicks from the field and then push two god catchers for exact lethal <laughs> on turn four.
0: Well at least in this case you, you at least put two damage on him, right?
2: Because he he pinged himself with wand, right? Exactly. Yeah, he took two damage with the wand global because it now deals yourself damage whenever you use it, which is pretty cool, honestly. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's great. And
1: also you, you made a video about Xanathar and Silgar, or is that still on your radar as like a cool, fun team or just not worth the effort.
2: I don't know. I haven't gotten to play it yet. I actually have it put together, but I haven't sat down to the table with it because I was spending so much time with the Godcatcher that I never busted it out, but that's on my list. What I have noticed as well, though, is that three cost drow mercenary hired blade that has obscure uh, has yeah. made it on literally every team that I've built <laughs> since I got the box right. and yawning portal comfortable in the two yeah. cost that breaks the game has also made it on every team <laughs> since I've gotten the box. <laughs> Sometimes detrimentally, I understand that it's a
1: bag flood. Use the Lucan here to read Yawning Portal Comfortable in Two cost bolt action. Your character dice are free to field this turn. Until end of turn, each time you field a character die, reduce the purchase cost of your dice by one to a minimum of one dice you purchase this turn are added to your bag there have actually been times where if my opponent brings
2: like a prep global and i bring create food and water or also another prep global Mm -hmm. you can actually manage your bag perfectly with like six dice rotation kind of a thing with double Mm -hmm. yawning portal and so you can play a yawning portal fill your bag with four things one of them being a yawning portal to play the yawning portal next turn and fill your bag with one thing after prepping and manage this weird, like cycling loop of yawning portals and exact dice, which is incredibly fun when you can manage your bag in a brand new way so yeah. yet another so, reason why this set's super interesting so
0: <laughs> you're kind of doing like an alternate instead of like doing five and one you're loading
2: up and then two turns later you're kind of refilling and doing again you know, is that the idea here? Or, or? Exactly, yeah mm-hmm. so you're using the first turn, it's like a weird two turn bag cycle where you use the first turn with Yawning Portal to set up the second turn because you're buying exact four dice or five dice and prepping one like um, one of those being Yawning Portal so you do it again the next turn and then you cycle the bag. It's it's really strange. And it takes a lot of flexibility right. to like, okay, this is the moment where I have to buy stuff with this. This is the moment where I have to cycle it, then buy stuff. Right. So it's a lot of thinking around the problem. But it's, it's sort of amazing to have it all land and realize that, oh, I literally have god catcher, god catcher, yawning portal, and some <laughs> other action die as my four draw. Oh, hey, I just have raised shields in there, and now I have Overcrush, and you're
1: going to take a lot of damage. An idea that's been popping around the community for a while now is the Jubilee, the three cost from X-Men Forever, that when she attacks, she has one damage for every other bolt-attacking character die. Yeah,
2: you could put that with Yawning Portal, right? It
1: doesn't seem so difficult to just, you know, between Yawning Portal and Techno. Five bolts and, you know, yield you a couple characters. It really <laughs> yeah. doesn't
0: seem super hard, you know. <laughs> but, but before we move on from this, because it, it seems like this is obviously going to be a meta card, let's talk about two things. One, let's go over again what cards seem to pair well with it and synergize. Pair well with, with the Yawning Portal? With the Yawning Portal, yeah. Oh, okay. Having it on your team, what have you found to be really helpful or when you're playing with it going, damn, I wish I had this, you know?
2: Well, it's very much like Big Entrance in the sense that you want to roll more dice with it than mm-hmm. less because you want to have like a character that you place in the field or something that goes in so that you can start that reduction and then you want energy with which to buy stuff. Yep. So something like resurrection makes things a lot easier because you're rolling five dice th- the turn that you're using Yawning Portal instead of four. And yep. if you're, you're not counting Yawning Portal, obviously, because you're going to play that as an action. So you're really rolling four dice instead of three. Right. Professor X is, is a huge pair with it as well because you're paying a mask to field a sidekick. You know, Then you can do things with that sidekick, like spin it down to another energy you <laughs> but right. even just fielding that sidekick makes the comfortable in Yawning Portal reduce the purchase cost of your stuff which is nice but if you don't
0: have Billy Club or something to spend down then you've lost another energy for buying so you've kind of got to keep an eye on both things right?
2: Well if you think about it that way sure but if you field a sidekick you're reducing all of your stuff by the purchase cost of one so right. if you had like I don't know a bunch of two costs now you're reducing those to one you could possibly buy two dice instead of one as you had before right with that two energy
0: right let me ask you this though now with big entrance it seems that we always favored working with small teams like two costs were just sure. loved big entrance but bigger than that it started to lose its effectiveness having played with this card a little bit do you find the same thing or do you feel like hey i can actually get up to getting those three and four and five costs as well
2: that's sort of my next project what i'm working on right now and trying to figure out how to uh, best use yawning portal with those bigger things is using it to completely mill your bag of sidekicks by buying up the six cost jar jarlaxle yeah jarlaxle yeah yeah so he's a six cost but he can be reduced further and further and then once you get him out you can mill all your sidekicks out and so mm-hmm. the first thing that pops into my mind is using that paired with um uh, it's the one that searches your bag for uh, a die. You pull it, oh, deals damage. Purchase cost, scorching well, ray, the, the scorching
1: right? ray is yeah. what the old yeah. one.
2: Would or be. phoenix storm, we baby. Got a new version I, of it now. I had yeah. So I, I had a build with phoenix storm first, and mm-hmm. uh, you have to pair phoenix storm with like nowhere, and then some ko like effect, which right. is in this set in the form of a mask global on Nihilor. so you yeah, can ko boy. her and cycle her that way. But that's three cards sunk into it, and so that kind of not very good. So I switched from that to just running another action, which is the basic action that you just mentioned, which does the exact same thing. Plus it's an action. So it can trigger things like the God catcher. If you did want to run the God catcher, plus it can also trigger drow mercenary, hired blade a three cost <laughs> yeah. bolt character that has obscure and a yeah. four four side on top which is just <laughs> stupid because who cares oh, about Yaunty pureblood because all you got to do is field one stupid sidekick and you have Yaunty but a four four right. it's so and it's cool. cheaper because of the portal anyway so exactly <laughs> yeah and it's a bolt portals a bolt by the way did you know that, long that? But of course This, along with all of the other things we've talked about up until this point, gets just straight up hard countered by the literal single card of Static Field Global, which is sort of a bummer.
0: But we have cards in the set that really, really hurt Static Field and Blink and all its iterations of Distraction. But before we get to that. I want to just go over some of the globals that we're going to be seeing, because that's going to be useful from here on out, and there's some new globals here that oh, yeah, are pretty yeah. good, right uh-huh. <laughs> First one off the top, we've got the Bromlin Chain Miner Global. And at first blush, it feels like, oh well, this might not be such a great global. Pay one, spend target opposing character die up one level. That actually has a lot of uses in today's meta. In specific, it also works with her card because she does damage. When she KOs something big, yeah. Yeah, or draws dice when she KOs something big. Mm -hmm. But can you talk a little bit about that global? Because I, I can see a couple uses where it can be very helpful in the current meta.
2: Well, the one that jumps out to me first, obviously, is running against the Atom. Right? Yeah, the Adam any Awakened character, it really hurts yeah, Awaken. Right. It, bad, it hurts right? Awaken <laughs> because they, they have that on top level. Now they have to spend the energy to spin it back down so they can awaken it, right? So yep. they get a proc on awaken for free, but after that they have to spend more energy that way. So that's a counterintuitive global that I think uh, you know has a use in the modern meta. You had already talked
0: about Nylor. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that is a huge game-changing global.
2: Sure. Okay. So uh, pay a mask once per turn. That's important to note. Mm-hmm. You may KO a character that you control. So this is the first time that I can remember that we have a mask global that can KO your own stuff on your opponent's turn. Which means any win KO'd effect that you can use to like mess with your opponent in some way, shape or form or ramp your dice or churn your dice can now happen in a more streamlined timeline because when it's your turn and you're doing things that ramp or churn, uh, you have to deal with the out of play zone. But when it's your opponent's turn, you don't have to deal with that which is wonderful
0: maybe we can talk the ko king back into the game at this point because we haven't had this since uh, blue eyes walked away and boy when ko effects, you better keep your eye out for him now because there's, <laughs> they're useful. now there's
1: this is like a whole black box just full of opponents turn removal yeah and like everybody's been complaining about that for forever mm-hmm. i don't mean to imply that i myself am a complainer but i may have been doing a little bit of said <laughs> method of commiserate about the lack of a Turn
0: well, I want to put a pin on this one idea of discussion, and hopefully we can come back to it at the end of the episode, because Lucan and I have been, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the early game. And it feels like the meta is harmonizing very well with some of those early teams, and I'm thinking, you know, this this global in particular brings back that old feeling of Solomon Grundy from back in the day, and, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later in the show. So let's go on to the next global here. Look um, what you, what you got.
1: Yeah. So there's the the intellect devourer, which you have in the past actually called the most powerful global in the game. It says once per turn you may spin one of your sidekick character dice to an energy face and into your reserve pool. So why do you think it's so powerful? Talk a little bit about that. Why do you think that's more powerful than like Clayface or something else? Can you just like explain your rationale?
2: Okay, so in this game, we roll dice and we get messed up if we roll the wrong energy type or the wrong Mm -hmm. anything. So like literally the game's variance is built on what you draw out of your bag and then what face it rolls on. This is a way for you early game to almost always, if you have a sidekick, guarantee exactly what you'd want outside of like weird corner case scenarios. Uh, this is a way for you to make all of those globals you you mentioned, like clayface, a lot better. Because yep. now, if you miss, now I can just make a sidekick whatever I want. Literally anything that I want. That's an energy face. Yep. That's not a sidekick. I need can just mask? spin it to that. Need a mask? You have a mask. Need a fist? You need a fist. Need a yep. bolt? Shut up. You don't need bolts. You don't need <laughs> bolts at all. Stop using magic missile on me. I don't need that. Stop it. Need a shield? Yeah, you want to prep a die? Okay, you can have that. Yep. The, the game is predicated on you making or missing rolls and choosing when the right time to gamble and go for that thing or calculate your probabilities out. And this is a global that takes those sort of calculations and probabilities and says, now nah, you don't actually have to do that math. Don't worry about it. Just pay
1: nothing and <laughs> spin that sidekick you rolled like five turns ago to whatever you want. And it's so powerful. It's It's, but like at the same time, it's, It's not anything new. You know, we've had energy fixers in the game since Green Air and the Flash. I mean, I get that this one, you can like turn it to any energy face, which is kind of like, oh my God, wow, that's like, that's a lot. But at the same time, yeah, but that's the point. Super powerful. No, 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 no. no, No, You're totally off base. No, that's the point.
2: If you wanted to fix to a bolt, then you put the one there on. But if you wanted to fix to a Bolt, but you also want to run like a Shield Global, now you have to go, okay, do I run the Shield Global? Does it have a spot on this team when I wanted to fix to this Bolt? Do I have to find another card that has sort of a similar effect for that Global because I can't really fix for Shields? Oh no, never mind. I'm just going to take that Bolt Global off. Forget Mjolnir, I'm just going to slap this on. And I can fix to literally anything that I want. So this is infinitely better than the one card slot or two card slot that you would give up for something that's slightly slower in one of those
1: it's so useful for everybody though you know like absolutely everybody benefits from this card you know well sure
2: but that's the same with bolts and stuff like that you're likely just being able to fix an energy always provides a benefit to your opponent like i'll always be able to uh, you bring me a a shield fixer i'll always fix to a shield because you probably bought resurrection as well that's why you wanted the shield fixer You probably brought that. So then I can fix to a shield and resurrect. You probably bringing a fixer because you wanted to fix to some sort of a global that you can use. The only other sort of corner case is that you're fixing to an energy type that you have. And in that case, then, yeah, I don't necessarily have the same team as you. So if I fix to a bolt, I don't have access to all these bolt characters that you're purchasing. But you know what? I can still take an energy that was sitting in my field zone as a character and now give myself an energy. So you're still giving me a benefit bringing it. Mm -hmm. So this is still... It it does the exact same thing. It gives your opponent a benefit, yes, a, a slightly larger benefit, but it gives you one as well. So and all globals do that. That's sort of the nature of the beast of globals. Talk to Ben said Scott about that one. Yeah, I, and you also get. I,
1: I guess what I'm saying is, I, I just feel like this one is like super useful for everybody. But I totally get where you're coming from. I'm excited to to play it with it. If we're talking sheer
2: power level,
1: yeah, and it
0: helps you get to the higher cost characters that you know gives you one extra energy, which can help you get to those five or six costs. So, I mean, you know.
1: with with yawning portal, once one of the big. <laughs> One of the yeah. big things with it is like, oh well, I spent all the dice that I had in my reserve pool and getting characters into the field, and now I have no energy left to buy stuff. Well, but this you can take one of those characters and turn it back into energy.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Pay the mask from your reserve pool to feel the sidekick to reduce everything by one with Yawning Portal. Then spin it to literally anything you want because I have Mm -hmm. diversified this like random adventurers team with a bunch of different energy types because all of these adventurers are pretty good, but they're different. So now I'm going to spin this one to a shield so that I can buy that guy, but I already had two bolts so I can buy those two as well. So you like, you can diversify what you want to purchase and that's what's just uh, insane about
0: it. So there you go. There's a card that pairs really well with Yawning Portal, right? I mean, there's a billion of those.
1: (laughs) They're all so good.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Okay, well, we've got another one in here. We've got um, Xanathar, uh, the Paranoid Tyrant, the six-cost one. We've got a pay one, once per turn, one generic. You can prep an NPC from your use pile. So kind of like the Counter-Strike Global. Exactly like the Counter-Strike Global. Yep, and then on the old Cloak of elven kind, one of the new basic action cards, it says, Equip. When you use it, equipped character dice gain Infiltrate. When you equip it to an equipable character, that character die gains Infiltrate. If that character die's card has Infiltrate already, instead it gains increase the damage dealt by this die's Infiltrate ability by one. And it has a global. Pay double mask. Once per turn, target character die cannot block until end of turn. Sure. So... It's a double mask incarnation of the old
2: Relentless. Once yeah. per turn as well. And again. it's a once yeah. per turn limit, so it's not in, anywhere near the power level of that. You well, look at it and scary? you go, "Ooh, that's scary, but no, it's a once per turn. So before we get on, there was some discussion on Facebook about
0: Volo's text being ambiguous. I think you submitted a question to the rules form already, but...
2: Can you go over the issue that was brought up? The issue that people might have with it? Sure. I can understand that. Yeah. So Volo Traveling Scholar is a two-cost bolt character with the equip symbol. He's got the good alignment. got the experience keyword. It says, when you field a character die with experience other than Volo, this character gains an experience token. So what this is saying, and this is the correct reading of it, it says, while he's active, when you field a character die with the experience keyword, and it's not counting Volo, he doesn't count himself, mm-hmm. Volo gains an experience token. So the question that people were posing was, well, there were, there were multiple, but one of them was when you field a character die with experience already on it, that is not what this is worded as. I mean, I can see where someone might question that, but uh, this is literally got the boldened experience keyword thing right there, exactly what they do when they list experience. So that is actually looking just for the experience keyword. Uh, It's not looking for like a character die that already has an experience counter on it because they refer to that as experience tokens when they refer to them on cards. Uh, So they didn't use that relevant text that they've used before in previous sets and in other cards. So they're literally just looking for the keyword. Um, And then it says this character gains an experience token. This character is referring to Volo. If it wasn't referring to Volo, if it wanted you to put an experience token on the character it fielded, it would say that character gains an experience token. But instead, it's self-referential in the sense that it says this character. They probably should have used just Volo gains an experience token, but there's some weird sort of things that happen if you do that, too. So, I mean, the the way it's worded, it's it's straightforward. And uh, yes, it can be a little strange looking. But it works.
0: Yeah, I I agree that it is slightly ambiguous, but I I agree with your interpretation of it, especially because, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, Jimmy seemed to talk about it that way from playtesting. So I'm assuming that behind the scenes they were thinking of it that way. And then two, there's another character in the set called Dernan, retired adventurer. And he has, while he's active, your adventurers gain an experience token when they are fielded. Seeing as they already have that in the set and that character, it seems like Volo would be a different thing. That's just my right. feeling on it, you know. Right. Yep, I agree. Okay, after that little detour, we've got a couple more globals to discuss. We've already touched on the wand global, which is pay a bolt, deal one damage to target character die, and lose one life. So it's magic missile, but you
2: also lose a life when you do it, right? Yep, which is solid. It's a cool way to tweak an old school global that's been around since the first D&D set. It's like, man, what a great way to kind of call back that and then do it in a new and interesting way that's not so game-breaking and a little bit more sort of even paced. Yep, and then there's good old shield, which is pay a shield,
0: target character die, gets. Plus one D until the end of turn.
1: That's that's what they did to Wand. They need to do that to distraction. I mean they keep on talking about like how they want to transform the game into like an aggressive focus. With like combat damage, and I'm like, you can't do that while static field is a thing. Like, gotta nerf that. You well,
0: know? <laughs> no, <laughs> along you can't. those lines, let's talk about some of the cards. Five new favorite cards from D and D because I know there's one that Lucan's been eyeing that will put the, a big time hurt on distraction. But Steven, I'd like oh, to oh hear your goodness. favorite new card. <laughs> can, can we hear your five first? Okay, oh, well,
1: I'm, uh, I,
2: I I'm gonna I put you on the spot.
1: Are you gonna Ha-ha. put me on the spot? Okay, yes. well,
0: here's what here's what I like. Kind of stream of consciousness now because I've got Magic Missile on the mind right now in Juan because we just talked about it. Okay, so a lot of people have been talking about Monsoon Clone Wizard. He's the one where you, when you use a basic action, you deal one damage to all opposing character dice. Yep, but I really like the Monsoon Rekindling the Zentara right because if you pair that with Magic Missile, when you use a global, when you use Magic Missile in this case, you deal one damage to target opposing character die, and then with Monsoon, you deal another damage. So it's killer removal. You pair that with some bolts and you're just clearing the field. Or you pair it with that and plus a pump. You're clearing the field, you're mm-hmm. pumping.
2: It, it gets nasty really, really quick. I think it's a real great board control car. Yeah, I was looking at that in Golden Age with like a vicious struggle and the <laughs> like Luke Cage Global. That's yeah. interesting to me, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's just take globals and magnify them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else? Uh, well, I was, of course, Yawning Portal for sure, Godcatcher are definitely in there, but let's talk about some other ones that I think are really good that people haven't talked a lot about. I think that Doppelgangers, both of them, there's two of them that I really like. The thought reader for inset, he's going to get gigantic. Basically, he gets an experience token whenever an opposing adventurer gets an experience token so say you know they kill a bunch of monsters and you've got three adventurers across the board who get experience tokens guess what doppelganger's just gotten three experience tokens so he can get really big really fast yep that's a cool one yeah and then out of set you got the doppelganger monstrosity who's kind of a lot like um mystique mystique thank you but with better stats and one cheaper. And he's just going to, speaking of monster, he's going to get monstrous really fast out of set. So I, I like him a bunch. And then I want to throw one to Luke in here, and it's the Istrid Horn, all right? right? Yeah, there's there's is, a couple is of Istrid Horns. All <laughs> the Istrid hor- Horns are good, but there's one that he particularly
1: likes. Okay, uh, well, the Istrid Horned Money Lender, when she's fielded, you choose a global ability, and that global ability is on freeze until the end of the turn. Yep. There are probably many great uses for this, but I'm tunnel visioned on just use it. <laughs> Distraction is gone, it's too <laughs> costs, and it doesn't like freeze all of your global potential well, as well, so it's better than than like nefarious broadcast and your opponent can't also buy it and it also has like four attack on its level three face which is pretty cool there's so much good about it and there's not really any bad about it well
2: it doesn't doesn't never going to trigger on your opponent's turn so if you're trying to play defensive at any point or if there's a team that's faster than you the only bad side to playing this is that you don't have access to it on your opponent's turn like you would a, a global speed thing like um uh, blackbird you know
0: but on the collector team very interesting right sure you could run it on collector yeah definitely yeah and i don't it, think uh, i don't think
2: anyone's ever run collector though right? <laughs> who would play that card no no man. <laughs> seems seems pretty poor to me <laughs>
1: oh the silger one cost Silgar. yeah i mean i know obviously he works well with xanathar but one yeah. cost shield character with cheap fielding cost Mm-hmm. I've been tossing around various ways for a long time. I've been doing this, but like my newest attempt at this is a, a team that uses insect plague with transfer power, Cal el and wonder woman who stops your opponent from targeting your people with globals so that you can just go full fledged on them. And they can't try to like spend shields to counter what you're trying to do with like one shield when you have to spend three and silger is just like between silger and Supreme intelligence and Clayface and the new intellect of Our, Getting shields is not difficult. You know what else is a shield? Atlantis. <laughs> and, and you put that with Professor X, and there's just all these yeah. sidekicks flying around, shields flying around. You need a sidekick to go through. It's going to go through for seven damage because you have Wonder Woman. It's just... It's exciting. Th- I'm excited, and the thing is, it doesn't get like blanked easily because it's all globals, and I That's love globals. Right. And it's yeah. your opponent can't use it against you, and it's and you can put on <laughs> Istrid Horn because you can why hear him wouldn't salivating you? Salivating across the like... room here, right? <laughs> <laughs> all the
0: way in Texas, you can probably feel the saliva hitting you over there. <laughs> you may
2: have just touched on one of the videos I'm I'm working on. Yeah,
0: right here, yeah. that two-cost Silver too. By the way, with anybody who loves transfer power or Splinter's teachings, is just salivating over that card, right? because, yep. yeah, please put out your big characters for me while I slam you with this little Silgar, <laughs> mm-hmm, Tiny little fish going to come at you. Watch yeah, out. Yeah, yeah.
1: It'll be like Fish Mania, Atlantis I, and silver, Like,
0: <laughs> But I had two other cards that popped out for me, and one of them, of course, was Tyrell, the Sword for Hire. If you like super defensive cards like Super Rare Ronin or that uncommon Lex Luthor from, was it? Uh, World's Finest. World's Finest he just reminds me of that. Uh, yep, just stops all damage. Well. Really good mm-hmm. card. And then we were talking earlier about obscure characters and equippable. And Tashlin uh, Yafira, I believe is her name, the black yep. network. The one that you know, gets buff. She gets, yeah, equip character dice, get plus two, plus two with obscure yep.
1: characters.
0: I'm just saying was, this could I get was ouch really I was super excited fast.
1: when I saw that. And then she's the one that has that terrible fielding cost, though, right? Um, it's, not no, no, it's, not it's not the worst. No, I don't think it's really that the bad. Worst. Especially uh, when
2: you're buying her for like one.
1: Yeah. because, because yawning lady. portal no. come on is she's the viper lady no that that's the, the other guy. That's no the other viper's uh, the that's, the that's that. got terrible that's feeling that's the one the that's terrible feeling. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I take back what I just said I take back what I just said Tashlin's
2: mm. only got an 001 just the 001 you it's know Steven
0: you've had the experience of playing with these cards so what are the five cards that you've now seen in in action here that have made their impression on you
2: okay so the ones I've seen in action or, or the or ones that are still okay anything that you anything five favorites I have seen Stone of Golor transformed Apoleth in action, and Uh, yes, if you can set up your bag, it's a game winner, because it just uh, makes things go through unblocked, like Volo.
0: That's the three-cost one?
2: It is the three-cost one, yeah, and you can set your bag up easily around it to be, you know, that single die that you need. You purchase it, put it in the bag with Yawning Portal, and then play Stone, and pull that out and now that's this thing is just going to kill you thank you goodbye um that one is on my list of ones up there obviously i've already talked about drow mercenary hired blade i think that card is just too good it's super cool gazer we didn't mention the gazer the one that comes down and just intimidates it's a two-cost shield as well so shields are good and intimidates good and the fact that they printed it in such a way that it can be used in modern is awesome.
1: There are some other Solid Gazers too, right? What do so, some of the other ones do? I remember uh, they were There's all the
2: game. one that when KO'd you can draw two dice from an opponent's bag and, and mill them, basically, put them in their yeah. use pile, which is pretty cool.
0: They've put in a couple of, like you were talking about earlier, with Jarlaxel and that Gazer we just talked about. You know, a lot of these deck-building games have had milling cards or milling abilities that really haven't made their way to Dice Masters yet, and here they are, and it's great to see, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's just the fact that it's a six cost makes it a little unwieldy Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to find my way around that because it's not just about purchasing the six cost it is about purchasing it but it's not just about purchasing it it's also about purchasing it and lining up in such a way that you have a big return on investment by playing it and then just cycling into your constantly good dice
1: because you have to line up all the sidekicks
2: yeah you have to have all your sidekicks or many of your sidekicks in the used pile when he is fielded so it's really really cool. That you can now do that, but it takes a lot of skill to set it up and know when to buy it because it's not as easy as like, well, turn three, I do this and then turn four, I do this. Or maybe it is and maybe I'm just bad. I don't know. Could be. Maybe <laughs> it is just that easy, but it didn't work out for me when yeah, I was sitting yeah. down and trying to hack through it early turns. has to be one of those more mid game plays because you still need your dice to purchase at that point. Right. So you can't rush them like you used to rush like Hulk where you would just try to get him out as soon as possible and like blow your opponent up yeah he's not
0: genzo that way because you end up hurting yourself more than that's right opponent
2: that's right so uh other things that pop out to me the kuotoa that's a two cost fist character that's got swarm and obscure it's like i don't care if i roll him on character face or if i roll him on energy face because if i roll him on character face i just play an action alongside of him and he goes through unblocked anyway it's a two cost swarmer back in the game and he's got a one 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 one, two one one two two two, so you got to pay for him wherever you roll him which That's the downside, right? Right. But Obscure is pretty powerful. Obscure is pretty cool, man. You mentioned (laughs) Tyrell already, the sword Mm -hmm. for hire. I like that one a lot. I'm really into shield as an action. Just playing it is really cool. I like that Yeah, it
0: seems like the shield could be really helpful. There's a lot of characters, especially with Obscure, who've got big butts, who are begging for the Kal-El or uh, Bizarro global, right, with Obscure. And that shield global could be very, very helpful with that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Just for the memes for the lulls, I want to mess around with wild magic. Yeah. I think that's hilarious.
0: <laughs> now, can you read that one for me? Because when
2: I first read it, I thought, uh oh, is this a WizKids rules forum issue? Can you do you have that
0: in front of you by any chance? Yeah.
2: Choose two of the other basic action cards that players brought this game. You mm-hmm. may use a copy of each of their effects with burst. A single burst, that is. Do you think this is a do
0: as much as you can situation where yes. if they only have one, it can it can work, right? Yes. So you
2: can play this and if there are no actions, no basic actions that have bursts, you will use their effect, but you won't do it with the burst because there is none. So you'll just use the effect that's printed on the card and you get extra benefit if you target something with burst. So it makes you want to kind of like put something with burst yourself and then hope that they bring something that uh, hits as well. It's like the old morph, right? It's like morph. Right. But he had to have the double burst to work, right? They, they
0: ruled on that,
2: right? Yeah, he had to have a burst to target it when they when he was fielded and then pushing with it, obviously, you do that. But he needed something to, to target. <laughs>
0: Future Arch here jumping in to read the morph ruling as it might have an impact on how we play wild magic. I'll be posting a question to the rules forum shortly. Anyway, here is the morph change of heart qualifications ruling. The question was originally posted by Cynical Puppy. Morph Change of Heart states Winfield would choose a basic action card when Morph attacks use the double burst version of its effects. Cynical Puppy had a couple of questions, but the most important one was if the chosen back has no double burst effects, does Morph still use the basic effect? And their answer was, if the chosen basic action card has no double burst effect, nothing happens when Morph attacks. If the chosen basic action card does have a double burst effect, morphs when attack's ability works as if you had rolled the double burst side of the relevant basic action die. So I'm not sure if the Wild Magic basic action will work if the other basic actions don't have a single burst effect. I'm putting a question into the rules forum as we speak.
1: So do you think, like, after having played with this set, there's there's a lot of new stuff to facilitate adventures being useful you think that they can actually be a thing now define a thing like oh, in the outside of just in set play will they be useful or even just more in set than they used to be because you used to kind of be like oh I, I got an experience token wow this is the first time this has happened to me and yeah you draft couldn't ever, you, you know? couldn't
2: play them out of set really just because Experience as a keyword only relies upon your opponent having a monster for you to KO on your turn, which is right. so difficult to to do because you're just hoping that your opponent brings something that you can <laughs> KO. And you're obviously right. there was like Yanti in the meta, but that kills you so much faster and you're probably playing against something that's very, very good that you're not really counting on that to be, you know, like I'm going to farm all my opponent's yonties for experience <laughs> points and then they're going li- to oh wait no I'm dead never mind okay so that's game you can't do that but nowadays, with this set, you might be able to uh, put together something that's decently competitive with all of these low-cost adventurers that either just deal damage based on other adventurers doing stuff, that uh, get stronger based on other adventurers doing stuff, right. or that gain experience points in new and exciting ways, a la yeah. Volo. Will they be, like, world-level? No, I don't think so. Do they need to be? No, they need to be fun. And are they fun? 100% yes. So are they going to be a thing in the meta? I don't know. It just depends on what your definition of thing or how high you want to shoot. Are you probably going to sit down across the table next worlds and play against someone with an adventurous team? Uh, It depends on what else (laughs) comes out next year and when these other sets drop. But more likely than not, probably not. Not to say that it doesn't have sort of the reach there because there are the burst win conditions of like fielding all your adventurers and getting to deal free damage in Vadra and things like that. That's, you might see a few, but I don't think you're going to sit down to a, a game where like money is on the line and it's like ah they've busted out their <laughs> six adventurer team foiled again no, i don't think I don't it's, feel like it's
1: too far of a shot though to say that you'll sit down across from like an adventure to a lot of the times because a lot of these adventures are like they're, they're solid cards oh no i definitely agree yeah. like
2: you you may sit down across the table with uh uh what is the the x-men forever character that uh sage that's the one that makes things mm. your non-sidekick characters harder to field right the right. opposite of that is the one that makes your uh, opponent's sidekick characters cost one more to field right so yeah. that's the uh istrid horn mind the for money to cost yeah. uh, adventurer she will definitely get played and i think might actually get more play than the one that taxes your non-sidekick character dice one because the fish teams are a thing and those are sidekicks. Yep. Two, because your opponent is always guaranteed to have the ability to field a sidekick at some point during the game and if you can tax that, then you're doing great. I think the combination of those two things, it being sort of a meta call Mm -hmm. and it being a really good two-cost character makes this see play as well. She's also- Yeah, and it really
0: puts a little hurt on that. You know, if people are using that yawning portal, it does a little hurt,
2: right? Because you're already having,
0: you know, energy issues a little bit with that. You're trying to get enough energy to buy the stuff when Once you made the discount, if you have to pay to field that sidekick, which was gonna get you your discount, it does a little it crimps it a little bit, right?
2: Yeah, it hurts PXG as well. So like you want your opponent wants to pay a mask on your turn to field a sidekick, and uh, before they get a chance to do that, you just slam Istrid horn and now they have to pay a mask (laughs) and pay one to field a sidekick. And it's very debilitating when you are about to make that play and be like, ah yes, my back's gonna be perfect, and you realize, oh, I didn't save two. There was a
0: ruling back in the day, I'm trying to remember now, where... Do you remember this, Lucan? Where if you fielded from the used pile, the tax didn't get applied. I wonder if I that's the case. I have no here.
1: idea what that ruling was. I've I never think even it might heard have been before, but yeah, I've I heard guessed that it's going to be on I, Venom.
0: Yeah, it might have been Venom and the Star Labs Global, hmm. where people asked like, if I use Star Labs, do I have to pay the Venom tax? And I believe the answer was oh, no. I have to check that now. So maybe that's the way around it. Like maybe huh. that PXB Maybe that a bit ruling around. makes it.
2: Yeah, maybe that ruling makes it uh, makes Nerf's it work it fine. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I have to go. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a link in the show notes afterward and uh, clarify that. Well, then maybe she'll see just as
2: much play as Sage and not more. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess your your opponent's probably always going to field characters too, so both of those cards are equally good, right? Future Arch reporting back on the
0: Venom Spidery Star Labs ruling. Back in July of 2017, Spellbound24 asked if Venom Spidery, who said while Venom is active, opposing sidekick character dice cost one more energy to field, would affect the Star Labs global. And their answer was, Star Labs' global ability doesn't require you to pay to field the sidekick die, so effects like Venom or Agent Carter wouldn't increase the cost. So there you go. We now know that Istrid Horn wouldn't affect Professor X fielding from the use pile. Well, I have one other question
2: for you. You said you had a great drunkard story. Oh, I don't know if I'd call it a story so much as like a total misplay on my part. So I'm sitting here. Yeah, so I'm sitting here with Adventurer Lethal, right? I've got Volo at like 11 11. The next turn, I've got the bag set up so that I'm going to draw a Volo with. The Stone of Golor making my 1111 Volo go through for lethal. And right. I forget that Ryan Slater is sitting, so he he has like two or three God catchers, and it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna pull out this thing, but haha, my Volo is gonna survive and actually take out one of your guys if you taunt him out. So yeah, take out a couple of my sidekicks or you know a couple of characters, whatever. I'll just roll them back because I'm amazing and I always hit these rolls. <laughs> and so while he's going like on his turn, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you feel your sidekick. Well, I'm gonna pay the wand glow. We'll take one. Day damage KO your sidekick, you just feel these like, okay, that's fine. Both of these great drunkards trigger uh. and I just have two six sixes. Oh. Oops. Oh yeah, you had those in the field this whole time. <laughs> They've been sitting there for like thirteen turns because I forgot how great drunkard works, and now I gave you two ten tens and two six sixes. Do I just lose? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't end up losing, but it made the game a lot more unnecessarily difficult than it had to because uh, I then had to roll like four or five characters just to get the lethal the next turn. So I basically shot myself in the foot by using a <laughs> wand global. I paid a bolt. I hit myself for one, and I gave my opponent two six sixes, but. Darn it, he did not have that sidekick, and all was well.
1: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, oh. I, I feel that I, I miss Lethal on stream, and you were like, uh,. <laughs> He's yeah, running it up. He's running just, the score up. Look at him we go. Can't see, we can't see. Maybe we missed something. Maybe he's just flexing on everybody. He's just flexing. And I'm like, <laughs> yep. He was Let's go with that story. Let's go with that story. Yeah, I like the sound of that. <laughs>
2: he's like, I know how to play this team. What are you doing over there? This is how you play it. Now let me show you. Oh, yeah, there's lethal. All
0: right, guys. We promised it. Well, we didn't even promise it. Steven brilliantly and generously offered a super new WWE spoiler. You're hearing it first. I'll hopefully put a link in the show notes to the picture of the card itself. Steven, what you got
2: for us? All right, so let's take a look at Bobby Heenan, the weasel. Oh, the brain. He is a two-cost mask character. He's an 011, an 012, a 112. His dye is pink, and it has a white brain on it. <laughs> um, so that's pretty nice. And the ability says, when fielded. Until the end of the turn, For each die your opponent assigns to block, they lose one life. Per Bobby Heenan, die fielded this turn. Awesome. Oh, wow. Awesome. (laughs) The brain at work. I love it. So essentially, just put this on like a low drop, aggressive combat damage team. Field two of them. And then if your opponent is trying to like block your wide board, they're just Mm going to start taking two, four, six, eight, ten. You know, They could kill themselves OTK style with the amount of blockers they must assign, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, and it seems like that's going to work really well with that new tag out global tag out. You mean the keyword? The keyword. Yeah, I mean, sorry. It seems like that's going to work really well with a
1: tag out global. There is a global too. There is a global which gives something tag out. We don't know what it is, but Jimmy has said there is a global that does that.
0: Right. So, so tag out global and the keyword. Can you remind us what the tag out keyword is and how it might work with this new Heenan card? I think that's
2: pretty cool. So tag out is a keyword new to this set that says after blockers are declared, you can prep this die, the die with tag out, from the field zone. So it goes to prep to give target character die. And in this set, they're calling character dice superstar dies. So it gives target mm-hmm. superstar die plus two plus two until the end of the turn. So what you're actually doing is taking away an attacker to give something else a buff. Right. But if they've already
0: blocked with it with the Heenan out there, they're taking already taking the damage for it, right? Correct.
2: So. Yeah. And if they've already blocked something yeah. that you don't really care about, You just pull that thing and then give some unblocked attacker plus two, plus two. So you push with a bunch of sidekicks plus your things that are bigger. Your things that are bigger get blocked. So you just tag them out, buff up the uh, sidekicks that go through. So it's basically like you pushed the damage anyway, or at least a small portion of it.
0: Cool. And I want to just kind of do a little preventative maintenance here, so to speak. So, Superstar, in this case, is going to count like Monster did in Yu-Gi-Oh!, where all active character dice are considered superstars, correct? This, this is correct. Okay, great. So, that just to answer that question before we even get down that path. And let's talk just overall meta now. You know, any thoughts, like, just about how the meta might be shifting. I mean, it feels to me between D&D and this new WWE stuff that we are moving back towards a very combat damage meta. Do you agree or what's, what's your take
2: on that? I hope so, but I'm not buying it until I see it. That's right. just generally how I feel about it. People keep saying it. I kind of said it, but the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, there's still really, really powerful wind conditions that just deal burn damage and they sure. deal it in awkward timings for people to play around. So you're going to have to still sell out to stop that or you know, play it as well, or we're going to have to cross our fingers that new and exciting wind conditions come along that don't necessarily involve burn damage because... Burn damage is just so strong in Dice mm-hmm. Masters when you can sort of skip the whole attacker and blocker step and just yeah. kill your opponent in the main <laughs> before passing priority, which is just bonkers.
1: You know what feels even worse when you kill your opponent on the opposing priority? Like they're <laughs> Does like, "Does that, that feel, gonna feel worse? And I'm gonna kill you." Yeah, it's worse because it's your turn and you get killed on yeah, your turn. Yeah, no, there's there's nothing worse terrible. when you oh, see the guy see frothing.
0: I see, I, you know that moment where the poor poor person's on the other side of the board and you're just waiting and they're getting, they're all lining it up to kill you with lethal and then they pass priority and you kill them? It's worse, oh, I mean, worse, worse for them. I mean, definitely worse for them, right? <laughs> <It's not laughs> I not feel bad about doing you, that so. myself, <laughs> you know? Anyway, so Stephen, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our Hall of Fame episode, but you were the person who nominated said person, and that was the the great, illustrious David Wall. The, the illustrious, illustrious David Wall. I love it. <laughs> so you're one for one so far in terms of nomination and induction. I'm wondering if you want to take a chance at two for two. have anybody who you would like to nominate for our illustrious
2: Hall of Fame. So my nomination will go into a pool, yeah?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Selected you could. by who? Well, it's just whoever has like the most votes at the end of the season gets inducted, oh, gotcha. but if they all have even, we get to, with our infinite hubris, decide who <laughs> actually gets to <laughs> We'll break a tie at, at the end. Last season,
0: But there are already people who are kind of floating around in the pool, have already got a nomination, so you could add to their nominations,
2: or you could pick somebody entirely new. Alright, so my nomination is sort of along the lines of the David Walsh nomination. I'm I'm nominating a Texan, which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool. I'm nominating someone that I watched in those same sorts of tournaments that was hugely influential to who I sort of became as a player, that sort of thing. I'm going to, alongside of David Walsh, I'm also going to nominate Kelly Davies, who was sort of his playing partner. Uh, They always were playing in the uh, final round in the finals. I was always watching the two of them play back and forth. I just, Mm -hmm. I so much enjoyed those matches and watching the two of them not just play at such a high level against each other, but also play with such an enjoyment of the game, with such a joy with each other. You could tell this is not just a game that is like a thinking man's chess, you know, where everyone's like sweating and trying to make the right move. But the two of them watching them play, they're playing at such a high level, but they're also like laughing, joking, having a good time that uh, I think they both deserve spot because for me, they were hugely influential for me showing me, that the game was super cool and high level, but also it had such a great community. I think yeah. uh, Kelly's a great example of exactly that. Someone who plays really really high level but also has a great personality and has fun playing
0: has a spirit of fun that's fantastic it's great to hear when, when walsh was talking about when he was coming up the generosity of kelly was really clear because kelly apparently started before walsh and really was totally happy to help coach him and teach him the ropes and i think that that spirit of generosity should be saluted as well so that's a great nomination thank you no problem all right. Well, Lucan, I think we've come to again the sad moment where we have to say slang a full. And uh, Stephen, once again, here's your last chance. Do you have anything else you want to throw out there? Here's your chance to plug your site, etc., cetera,
2: and, uh, and oh. do it with gusto. Oh, geez. I'm so bad at plugging my site. <laughs> I hate plugging myself. This is the worst. Someone should plug it for me. I should hire. <laughs> well, I will. Here, to do that. I'll, I'll plug it for you. There you go. Plug uh, everybody it for out me. there,
0: go check out DM Armada and all of his videos. Subscribe on YouTube. The site is awesome. You do a great job of teaching the game and teaching new combos and just generating excitement and the spirit of camaraderie, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go
2: do
1: it. Also, make sure that you hit the bell icon next to the subscribe button, because that way you'll get notified every time a new video gets posted. Oh, dude, there you see,
2: go. I, I always forget to say even that. I forgot that's a thing. Hit the bell <laughs> button, everybody.
1: Hit the bell, the bell get
2: button. Get notifications. <laughs> Come on, get notified. Uh, all right, Steven, anything else you'd like
0: to, oh, to yes. add before we
2: side off for tonight? This is also um, the moment where I'd like to announce that Luke and O'Neill is going to be uh, working alongside of me as my PR guy. He's going to always say, <laughs> hit the bell no thank you guys for having me it's it's fun talking with you i could talk for like hours upon hours about like these new cards about new things that are that are coming about where the game's going and what we like about the meta as is about all the fun interactions it's it's fun to just sit back and talk dice masters it's why we do all these things so thanks oh, for having for sure
0: me. our great pleasure Stephen. and thank you again so much for taking the time and i hope And pray that you'll come back and join us again in the near future. You've always got a spot here. Well, you keep inviting me and I'll keep showing up to this (laughs) channel. (laughs) Fair enough. How about Steven's generosity there? Bobby Heenan used to crack me up back in the day. That card kind of reminds me of the old super rare lantern battery from War of Light,
1: but now it's on legs. Yeah, and it's only when fielded, though, but because of that, it does stack so that it could get really nasty really quickly. Yeah, for
0: sure. It's going to resurrect the old debate about costs versus consequences with force blocks and things of that ilk. Let's try to put up a post about this card in the next couple of days. What do you say?
1: Not like we have anything else to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vacuuming ash can
0: wait. Who needs lungs? Get on with it. <laughs> All right. Shall we hit it and quit? Let's hit it and quit. All right. We got another big name headed your way next time. So until then, <laughs> NAR Dalau. GAGIA
1: DALAO!
0: Well, that's the end of turn five, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at RolandThunder.xyz without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at Arge or Lucan at RolandThunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling. We'll be talking again soon with another awesome guest. So stay tuned. Enough said.